Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the letter of 2 Timothy, a series that we've called Guard the Faith, Guard the Faith, and the message this morning is entitled, How to Handle God's Word, How to Handle God's Word, and our text is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19, and as you turn there, let me just say this to you. How you handle God's word has eternal consequences for you, your family, and this church. And when I'm talking about God's word, I'm talking about both God's word in person, Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, the word become flesh according to the gospel of John, and God's word in print, the Bible, both of them. If you have not repented and believed on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I bid you, I appeal to you to do so. First of all, thank you for being here this morning. But how you handle that word, God's word in person, has eternal consequences for you. But if you have repented and believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then how you handle God's word in print, the Bible, has eternal consequences for you, your family, and this church. This church. And, and, and how, how we handle God's word depends on how we value God's word. I suffer with ocular migraines. My eyes have always been very sensitive to the sun. I have green eyes like my grandfather, Abuelo Valentin, had. And so whenever I go to Cuba, they say, oh yeah, because you have light eyes, you can't handle the sun. You're weak. I said, yes, I am when it comes to that. So I, I, I have to have very expensive sunglasses that I invested a lot of money in. Because if not, I will daily get, I'll get migraines. Like if the morning sun catches me just the wrong way, I could be in my house. If I look out the window or the glare of the sun bouncing off of our countertops catches my eye, I'll get a migraine. Certainly when I'm driving, you know how the sun hits the back of the car in front of you and that glare just... So I've got these very, very expensive sunglasses. And let me tell you, I handle them with care. I have a special case for them. I always know where they are. They're right over there in my bag. Because I know if I step outside today, it's going to ruin my day if I don't have those on. If I'm not paying attention. Those glasses are life to me. Now recently, I had to get those glasses repaired. They have a very good warranty. And uh, I had to send them away. And for about five or six days, I had to make do with a pair of $20 throwaway sunglasses. And uh, I can tell you right now, I handled those much differently than I did my regular sunglasses. I mean, I'd throw them in my bag. I mean, where are they? Whatever. If I lose them, I just get another pair or I'll steal Joe's or whatever. And, uh, and that, that speaks to us. Because if you value the word of God like I value my very necessary sunglasses, you will handle that word very, very differently than you would a pair of $20 sunglasses that you can just go replace wherever. How do you view God's word? 
as we get into this message from the word of God about how to handle God's word, the question for you is, how do you view God's word? How do you value God's word? Like a pair of $200 plus sunglasses that are absolutely necessary for your vision, for your wealth, for your health, for your well-being, or do you view them as a $20 pair of throwaway sunglasses? Do do you view God's word as his self-revelation to you? Do you view it as absolutely necessary to show you how to live your life, how to walk out your faith as the only rule for faith and life for you? Do do you view God's word as, as, as your life itself? Like without it, I will starve to death. Do you view God's word as God says it is? Listen, the gospel word of God is the very power of salvation. As David said, no one else can save you but Jesus. And there's no other message of salvation than in this word right here. It's not in popular culture. It's not in popular psychology. It's not in whatever you can cook up in your head to save yourself. Here is the power of salvation, the gospel word. Do you view it that way? That's the question. Because if you do, then you will handle it as carefully and as precisely as I handle these sunglasses that to me are are absolutely essential. Is God's word essential for you or is it just another little kind of nice bit of wisdom that maybe you could live by, maybe not? It's on your bookshelf along with your popular psychology uh, freshman course in college along with the latest self-help book you might have. Or is it uniquely the word of God? In your mind. My prayer is that you would view God's word as absolutely priceless, indispensable. It's it's better than all the riches that any gold could give you. It'll make you wiser than all your enemies. It is the word of life. So that you would ask yourself this question... How do I handle God's word? Listen, if you haven't handled God's word in person, Jesus Christ, if you're not saved, then you don't care about how to handle this. It's just another piece of literature. But if God God himself, God's word in person, is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then you, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to handle this word the way God wants us to. And he tells us how to handle his word in our text. So you ready? 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker that has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But... God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows 
those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Here, God shows us how to handle his word through incredible contrast. The contrast is this, between workers that are approved, Timothy and the men that he's discipled, and workers that are not approved, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And the contrast couldn't be stronger for Timothy and the men that he's discipling to take over the leadership of the church in Ephesus. Their handling of God's word brings godliness. For Hymenaeus and Philetus, their handling of God's word brings ungodliness. For Timothy and his guys, their words are healthy words, sound doctrine. Hymenaeus and Philetus and their bunch, their words are like gangrene infecting the body of Christ. For Timothy and his gang, their words build up people's faith. Hymenaeus and Philetus, their wrong handling of the word of God shakes the faith of some. And finally, Timothy and his gang base their handling of the word of God on the firm foundation of God himself, whereas Hymenaeus and Philetus base it on the shifting sands of man's opinion about God. Either we handle God's word rightly or we handle it wrongly. The contrast here leads us to this summary statement on the screen. Handle God's word rightly. Trusting in his firm foundation. Handle God's word rightly. Trusting in his firm foundation. Point one, handle God's word rightly. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, God through Paul is addressing Timothy and the men that he is preparing to lead the church in Ephesus. Remember, Timothy is in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. Paul is in Rome, some 1,700 miles away, in prison. And Paul is saying, Timothy, come visit me in Rome before they kill me because of the gospel. So he says, first, I want you to train leaders, pastors, elders, to, to lead the church in Ephesus. Then you can leave and come and visit me. So the them in verse 14, read it there with me. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words. Those people are the ones that Timothy has been sharing with and preparing to lead the church on the screen. 2 Timothy 2.2, Corey preached about these men a couple of weeks ago. And what you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, so really, this text is, is to pastors, it's to teachers, but we get to listen in because though we had the primary responsibility of handling the word rightly and preaching it rightly to you, you have the responsibility to know what that means and in a sense, to, to be able to verify the right handling of the word. Very important. Very important. Because the strength of the church is based on the right handling of the word. And so how do we rightly handle the word? We'll look at verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, the Greek word that is translated there, rightly handling, is the word orthotameo. Orthotameo. You hear there some words that we use today, like ortho. 
orthodontist. Orthodontist. And it gives you an idea of what it means to rightly handle the word of God. Actually, the Greek word has a range of meaning that includes to cut straight, to align. And anybody here that's had braces knows exactly what an orthodontist does. He, he realigns your teeth so that they are straight. And that's the idea here. The orthodontist, shown in this picture, is bending over and putting braces on this guy so that hopefully his teeth will be realigned because they're not in proper alignment. So to rightly handle the word of God according to this text, is that God would align our lives firstly to God's word and person, Christ. To be a Christian means to be conformed, the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. But secondly, to align our lives to God's word and print, the Bible. Sound doctrine, right workers approved by God, are teaching people, like this orthodontist, to align their lives according to the word of truth. Wrong teachers, guys like Hymenaeus and Philetus, try to align the word to their crooked lives. We've got to be able to distinguish between the two. You can go back to the scripture if you'd like. Because, because we see here two men that, that are teaching what our culture teaches. I'm not going to align my life to the straight word of truth. I'm going to align the word of truth to my tr- crooked life. I'm going to bend the Bible to what I want, to how I want to live. I'm going to make it fit me rather than me being aligned to fit it. And this guy, Hymenaeus, oh my, this guy is infamous. We've already heard about Hymenaeus. We heard about him in 1 Timothy 1, 18. Paul had to excommunicate him from the church because he was teaching blasphemous things. On the screen, 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, according to the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Here's old Hymenaeus. He has been shipwrecking people's faith for many years now, and now he's got a new partner, Philetus. And how are they shipwrecking people's faith? Well, In verse 14, they are opposing God's word. They're striving against God's word. In verse 16, they're engaging in irreverent babble. Examples of Hymenaeus and Philetus abound in our modern day church. But one that is coming to a screen near you is the movie The Shack. This movie is based upon William Paul Young's best-selling book by the same name. And the babble and errors proclaimed in this movie abound. Just a few of them is the misrepresentation of the Trinity. According to the shack, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all spoke themselves into humanity. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that God the Father and God the Spirit took on human form. And then there's 
a discussion of sin that is closer to Eastern karma than it is to the Christian gospel. For, for you see, the movie portrays this, that God doesn't need to punish people for sin. Sin is its own punishment. That is not true. That is not true. That totally leaves out the substitutionary atonement of Christ for our sins. If that's true, then why did Jesus have to die on a cross? A bloody death. The movie embraces universalism. What does that mean? That everybody's going to be saved. That is not what the Bible teaches. And that kind of teaching is like gangrene. It will affect the faith of many. In fact, in verse 17, that's exactly what Paul calls this teaching. Gangrene that infects the body of Christ. Now look, today if I were to say to you, be careful of gangrene, you would look at me like, what are you, some mountain man? You just go down to CVS, get some antiseptic, put it on, you're not going to have a problem with gangrene. In the first century, there were no such antiseptics. Gangrene was a serious problem. People died of gangrene. What, what a contrast Timothy and the men that he's teaching have sound doctrine, that word sound is healthy, that's good for the body. Hymenaeus and Philetus, their teaching is like gangrene that hurts the body. Look at 2 Timothy 1.13, speaking of the teaching of Timothy and the guys that he's training. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Those sound words, that Greek word that is translated sound words, are healthy words. Versus the gangrene of Hymenaeus and Philetus. What is their gangrene made of? What is their particular error in the first century? It's this, verse 18. They denied the physical resurrection. Actually, they said it had already happened. So they're denying a future resurrection of our bodies and the future new heavens and new earth. That, that shook the faith of many. Look at verse 18. It shook the faith of many. Now, how could they do this? We're not exactly sure. Is this some early form of Gnosticism that discounts the physical so it's all spiritual and the resurrection is just sort of, you know, you, you have a new life somehow, some way? We're not sure. It doesn't matter. It was error. Because in verse 8, which we preached last week, Paul is saying, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember that the sufferings of this world will be followed by the resurrection, bodily resurrection, and a new heavens and a new earth. I was talking to Cheryl before service today. She suffers from rheumatoid arthritis. She's been in pain most of her adult life. And she just looked at me and says, it's been good the last couple of days. And she's teared up. And we, and we just looked at each other and said, oh, for the day that your body will not be racked by rheumatoid arthritis. Your hands will work. Your feet will work. You'll be jumping and, and laughing like a little little girl again in the new heavens and new earth and that's true she still suffers and it still hurts but if you take that truth away right if there is no resurrection as it says in first corinthians then we christians are all people most to be pitied they were taking away a bedrock of the faith because of some crooked, humanistic way of interpreting the Bible and making it an allegory. And it was a bunch of baloney, like the shack is a bunch of baloney. And don't buy it. Yeah, I'm intense. Because it hurts you. If you had gangrene, I would deal with it. Hopefully gently and kindly, because you know my bedside matter is so nice. 
but I don't want it to kill you. I don't want you to die. I want you to live. Praise God. (laughs) So, what's the application? Well, number one, as you see by this, go to the orthodontist and you'll have beautiful teeth. (laughs) No, that's not the application. Although, if you need braces, hey. But what, what does this represent? This represents a life that is aligned with truth. Okay, this is not about how perfectly your teeth are, but it's a metaphor, it's a picture. Is your life aligned with the, with the truth that is, that is nice and even like these teeth? And are, is the Holy Spirit the one that is working in your life to illumine God's word in person, Jesus, and he's come to do that and to illumine God's word and print the Bible. God, the Holy Spirit here is here, yes, but he's here to illumine, to point to Jesus and say, that's what your life's going to look like. Don't make Jesus look like you. You're going to look like Jesus. And this is what your life's supposed to look like. It's the mirror. Every morning that I look, and I say, okay, how are the teeth doing? Okay, we got to pull that little wire there. Right? You've had braces. You all know. Can you feel it? Can you feel your teeth hurting right now? Yeah. Some of you are rubbing your teeth with your tongues. Oh. But that's what God does when the word is properly preached. When we're handling God's word faithfully. Now, here's the application. That we would study God's word. I'm going to post the audio of this message here sometime this afternoon, and with it, I'm going to attempt to upload a lengthy bibliography. A bibliography is a list of books that you can access that are commentaries that Corey and I would say, hey, these are good commentaries. These are Timothy commentaries. These are Paul commentaries. Stay away from the Hymenaeus and Philetus series, you know, heresy.org. Stay away from that one. And, and, and subscribe to commentaries that, that have good, healthy doctrine, good understanding of the, of the words. Some of them are going to be tools of grammar. Yeah, exercise yourself in that. Some of them are more pastoral, how this applies to my life. So we're going to try to post that. That you would pray and ask the Holy Spirit to enable you to interpret and rightly handle the word so that when you come here on Sunday mornings, having read the scripture that I'm going to be preaching or Corey's going to be preaching or, or David's going to be preaching and having studied it on your own with your family because we tell you about it on Friday in the informed and then you're coming, you're leaning forward and you're saying, I want to be here. This is a priority. This is more important than Disney. This is more important than fishing. This is more important than anything else. This is more important even even than Gator football. This is more important than anything. I have to include myself in that. (laughs) But this is life, man. I'm handling this bad boy. This has got a nice case on it. I'm going to come. This is what I live for. I live to hear the word. I hear, I live to preach the word to others and in my own heart. I'm going to, I'm going to be on the front row taking notes. I'm going to be there because this is life. And I'm going to talk about it with people during the week in Bible studies that different people have in their homes or in community group this Wednesday night. The men are going to get together to learn how to study God's word and, and put the gospel into practice. I'm going to exercise myself in this because this, is, this has eternal consequences for me, my family, and this church. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy and by extension to us. And he said, do it trusting that God is able to preserve his church. And that's the second point, trust in God's firm foundation. 
Verse 19 is a little bit difficult to understand. But what God is saying in verse 19 when he says this, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This is what he's saying. I know that there's a lot of people leaving your church in Ephesus, Timothy. I know that Hymenaeus and Philetus preach a gospel that tickles the ears of men and women because instead of having to change their life according to what God says, they're making God's word change to fit their life. So it's, it's a me-centered gospel, and there's, these churches are growing all over the place. They even have TV shows, and they're all over the place, and, and they're fun to go to, and the sermons are really how-to sermons, and they're, you know, they're, it's just great. And I know that the temptation is to get discouraged, Timothy. But don't get discouraged, Timothy, because God's seal on the church is this. I know those who are mine, and those who are mine know me. And in other words, this is my church. The word foundation there in verse 19 helps us with the metaphor of a building. This is my building. I'm the owner. I'm the builder. And my building will stand. It will not fall. Because my people... I know my people, and my people know me. Now, here's where you got to press in here. Pay attention. For the Jew, they would have understood the two scriptures that Paul quoted. We don't so much. Look in your Bible. See verse 19? In, in, your, in my Bible, it says here, but God's firm salvation stands bearing this seal, colon. You following with me? Words are important, guys. Look at them. This is God's word. Value this thing. Don't just listen to me. Look at it. Get your Bible out and look at it. Bearing this seal, colon, quotation marks, the Lord knows those who are his, his, end quotation marks. The reason there's quotation marks there is because Paul is quoting from the Old Testament, comma, and... Quotation marks, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Close quotation marks. So you have two quotes that Paul is giving, and they're important quotes, and these quotes are the seal and the foundation of of God's church, that God knows those who are his, and those that are God's know God and will separate themselves under God, and that's the foundation of God's church, even when it seems like everybody else is going after this false teaching. And God's saying, rest in that. Trust in my foundation. All right, so let's talk about these two quotes. These quotes come from a historical narrative in the Old Testament that took place around 1400 B.C. So 1400 B.C., Paul is writing in 65 or 64 A.D., so almost 1500 years earlier, something happened that Paul is going to reference to tell us that the seal of God's church is that God knows those who are his election, and those who are his know God, they will separate, the true people of God will separate themselves unto God. And here's the story, you ready? It's a true story. Moses, in 1446 or so B.C., is leading Israel out of Egypt in what's called the Exodus, right? Think Charlton Heston. Don't think Charlton Heston. But you know the movie, The Ten Commandments, right? He's leading his people out. And God's saying, you're now my people. I'm going to give you my law. I'm going to constitute you my nation. And I'm going to take you into the promised land. And Moses is a type of Christ. And he's preaching the gospel in its sort of infant form. And, and he's preaching and he's preaching and he's preaching. And all of a sudden, this guy, Korah, says, hey, Why do we have to listen to your expository preaching, Moses? 
Who do you think you are? I got a better idea. Don't listen to him. We're not, we're not going to make our lives match this and, and try to be like that. No, 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 no. I, Others of us can talk about stuff, and it doesn't have to be that. So don't listen to Moses. Korah opposed Moses, just like Hymenaeus and Phileas. Korah did, was babbling. Korah was shaking the faith of some. And, and, and so Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you something about what God did in Korah's time, because Timothy, there are people in Ephesus saying, why do we have to listen to Timothy? Who said that Timothy's got all the truth? And just like today, that why do we got to listen to good expository preaching? Just preach whatever we feel. We can, we can reference the Bible and just touch it and then just run off over here on the firm foundation of my latest philosophical ideas and call it preaching. All right, so let's go back to 1446 BC. You there? All right. So God says to Moses, I'm going to deal with Korah. And the way God dealt with Korah is God said, Moses tell everybody to separate themselves from Korah and his gang. Actually, Korah had a pretty good-sized church. I mean, they, that church growth, man, they were, they, were, they were making it happen. Lots of guests, good guest reception, nice snacks, good children's ministry. And it was happening. And God said, tell everybody to separate from Korah. Get away from them. I know who my people are. And when everybody separated from Korah, then God said, now I'm going to speak into this situation. And the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and all his followers, and they were judged and destroyed. Mm, a little rough, huh? Not exactly the shack. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but that's what happened. So in the midst of that is where God said the following on the screen. Number 16.5, and he, Moses, said to Korah and all his company, in the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy. This is now what Paul is saying. God knows who are his, God's elect, and will bring him near to him. The one who, whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. So the foundation of the church is God's foundation, his elect. And then number 16.26 on the screen. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart please from the tents of these wicked men. So there's Korah. He says, get away. If you're with them, go be with them. If not, get away. And touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. And when, every, when God's people departed away, is when God opened the ground, swallowed them. End of discussion. Yes, Moses, you do have the word of God, I think. Yeah, we're convinced. Okay. Uh, and that's what happened. And so God is saying, even though people are leaving, even though it looks like everybody's believing this baloney, even though the shack is the number one bestseller, everybody's flocking to buy it, listen, that's not me. This is me. Study. Be faithful. I will make sure my church endures, little flock. I love Tony Morita's uh, quote on this up on the screen talking about this verse, both of these realities, the doctrine of election and the fruitfulness of God's people are glorious and mysterious and they also remind us that God's church will endure. God's church will endure. Do we preach this gospel word perfectly? No way. You know, you know that Corey and I both would say to you, we make mistakes. There are days our sermons are great. There are days our sermons are... Uh, we we try, we're working very hard. But here's here's my faith, that God's 
church will endure because of God's foundation. Our hearts are toward the Lord. Our hearts are, Lord, we're your elect because you chose us, not because we earned it. And however much we fail, however unfaithful we are, last week's message, you're faithful because you cannot deny yourself. And we're your little flock. And so what's the appeal? Stay humble, little flock. Stay humble, church. Hunger for this word with all your heart. Come to it and say, oh, God, the Holy Spirit, you illumine this word because it's so hard sometimes for me to, to understand it. But, but help me understand it. Help me. Holy Spirit, sir, you were, you were sent by the Father and the Son that you might reveal the Son to us and draw us to the Son and draw us to the Father and reveal the word. So you come to it humbly, but you come to it hungrily. Humbly and hungrily. Adverbs. That's how we come to the word. The verb. But we're, we're, we're coming to it. It may be five minutes for you. maybe may be ten minutes for you. maybe may be listening to it in, uh, on your uh, iPod or iPad or whatever thing that is that you listen to when you're driving to work. Just, But you're coming to God. The direction of your life is, I'm coming to you. I need this word. This is valuable to me. I want to apply it. You do it privately. You do it publicly. Guys, we're going to be studying the word in my back porch area. Come out on Wednesday night. And if you can't come to that, and I understand some can't, go to a Bible study that some of our members have. Find out what's going on. People that are teaching God's word, come to community group. Let's talk about it. Is it clean and perfect? No, it's messy. Sometimes it drives you nuts. I'm so tired of so-and-so telling me what they think it means to them. It's clear it doesn't mean that. (laughs) All right. So why? that's why we're patient with one another. That's why I lean into one another. Put my arm around one another and say, hey, I got a good commentary for you. Hey, before community group, why don't you and I talk about what this might mean? Guys, that's discipleship. That's the strength of this church. That's the strength of your family. That's the strength of God's church on earth. Build on the foundation of God, the word of God, God in the word of God in person, Jesus Christ, the word of God in print his word so that we are rock solid because it's God who chose us, God who will build us, God who will enable us to endure. Amen. And so we stumble around sometimes, but we do it in the light of his grace in Christ. Isn't that glorious? And when the waves come and knock us down, when the diagnoses come, when the finances turn, when the boss is not being very nice, not only are we grounded in the word, but we are hooked arm in arm with one another. You ever watch the SEAL training? They get them in that cold surfing off of Coronado in San Diego and they're linked arm in arm. Just the waves are knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. But I got someone on my right, I got someone on my left, and we're linked by God's word, not by my opinion or my agenda. That's what God is saying here. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would give us much grace this morning. Lord, even as we stumble and bumble around, Lord, here's here's what we're saying to you. We at Palm Vista are stumbling and bumbling in your direction. Sometimes we're crawling. (laughs) Sometimes we're just like leaning. Praise God. It's not based on us. It's based on you. 
The seal, the firm foundation is you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, before we could ever earn it. You said, you're mine. You said, I'm going to conform you to the image of my son, the word of God in person, through my, my word, the word of God in print. And we're going to do it together. And I'm going to give you pastors and teachers. And I'm going to give you my spirit to illumine the word. And you're going to do it together. And we're going to lean into each other. And we're going to be patient with one another. And we're going to help one another. And we're going to say, God, be gracious to us. We're going to believe your promise. Jesus, when you said, I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Lord, I pray that you build your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.